Steve's words were too kind. I want you to know that I'm a pinch hitter. So I pinch hitters get called up with short notice and fill in for someone. And to your visitors, we're glad to have you with us this morning. Please don't judge this. This service is the only service. Come back. Come back. Come back. This is a series that we're in the uh, process of doing. Last week, our brother Stan spoke on uh, Psalms, and it's a series of wisdom books. This week, the topic is Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. How can I experience romantic love? I don't know if any of you see the irony of having probably the oldest man in the room speak about that subject, but so be it. Next week will be Ecclesiastes, what is the purpose of my life? The following week, Proverbs, how do I live wisely in society? And the last week of the series will be Job, how do I process sufferings? So that, those are the topics. Now, when I started thinking about this topic, one thing became very clear to me and has been clear to me for quite, quite some time. The world's view is not God's view of romance, of love. And I want to make clear that we who believe in biblical Christianity and what the Bible says in all areas of our life have a different view. And I'm tired, frankly, of hearing the criticism. One of the criticisms that you hear is that you don't speak frankly enough about love. You don't tell it as it really is. And you're right, and I'm not going to do that this morning. Why? In part because children up to age 70, uh, seven, whoops. <laughs> now you know how old I really am. <laughs> Children up to age seven have gone downstairs. So looking at this room, the people who are left range in age from eight to 80. I firmly believe that Christian parents have the responsibility to teach their children biblical values. And they're best equipped to do it because they know their children, they know what stage of life is. So I'm not going to use language that's offensive. Father of two daughters, grandfather of four daughters, I've been through it. And I wanted you parents to know that I have that warning up front. Today's world differs greatly. And I, I saw an article recently in a newspaper, and it said, the new moral code is feelings. Absolutes are gone. What that tells me is the word of God's gone in people's thinking about life and these subjects. And I think it's a tragedy when we look at it. Without no absolutes, if you go out and say chastity, monogamy, 
to people? Are you nuts? We're beyond that. Bruce, that may have been okay for you and your parents, but it's not for our age. God's word is eternal, and we have to recognize that. Uh, Song of Solomon is an interesting book, and I went and looked on my bookshelf, and I had a book there of paraphrased of Esther, Ruth, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And when I picked the book up, this yellow piece of paper fell out. It's from a man called Dean Pickton. When I was in military service, I was stationed in Toledo, Ohio, and went to a church. And he's probably 10 or 15 years older than I am and went to be with the Lord just this last year. And he was an elder, and he and other elders and their families took me under their wing. What it did is it was a brethren assembly where the elders preached and talked. And by the time I left in 1961, I had preached in Lucas County Jail regularly. I'd preached in the church Sunday evenings, even some Sunday mornings, and I was in charge of the youth program. And I left engaged to Marlene. But they've become fast friends over the years, very close friends. And this note stated April 21st, 1972. His handwriting isn't quite what I would like it to be. Uh, read this on a recent flight and was misty-eyed over the Lord's love for me and Bibi's. That's his wife. Read it in the order of Esther Ruth's Song of Solomon, if I recall. Read it in the order of Esther Ruth's Song of Solomon, if I recall. Hope the two of you will find it heartwarming. In love, Dean. And Marlene and I did. But he understood the Song of Solomon because the Song of Solomon is on, can be read on two levels. One is God's love for people and his pursuit of people. And the other on a human level of love for man and woman. The reason it's important is when you, when you look at scripture, and that's the reason uh, we read Genesis 2.24. In the Garden of Eden, love was perfect. Marriage was perfect. It was established between a man and a woman we call a marital union for creation. Adam gave Eve the name, and the name means mother of the living. Think of it. Think of it. Everyone who's lived on the face of this earth since that time, starting with Cain and Abel, are the product of a union of a man and woman except one exception, if some of you would like to take it with me, is the Lord Jesus, 
who is conceived of the Holy Spirit, but Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Joseph, and it's the Lord's, we're giving it to us as the Lord's genealogy. But think of that. Think of that. Another thing that is of interest to me, every once in a while you talk to people about the Lord and they say, Bruce, one thing I don't understand, why can't major religions agree on anything? Well, they do agree on something. Marriage of a husband and wife and a family unit. They may not agree on who God is. They may not agree on much of anything else. But in, I mean, in a large percentage, one thing they do agree on is a family unit. Now, it's skewed in some places. They believe in several family units. One husband may have one wives, but they're under a marriage contract. They treat it as a marriage. So when, you t when I talk to people and they talk to me, I often wonder, how do you talk to them reasonably? How, ca how can you have a rational discussion of it? We have marriage before the fall. And you know, we've heard, I've heard this story many, many times. And what happened? After Adam and Eve fell, what's the first thing they did? They made fig leaves to cover themselves. They had to cover themselves. And I've always thought, okay, that's fine. They were embarrassed. Uh, that's why they did it. But I think it goes beyond that. When they covered themselves, the fig leaves <coughs> represent alienation from one another. Second, they destroy the intimacy of marriage. Thirdly, Trust was replaced by distrust. So here we had the fall, and this came about as a result of the fall. How do you restore that? How do you restore that? Well, one way is you don't take your clothes off until you're married. Uh, yeah, you have some people, and I've heard it over and over, but Bruce, you don't understand. He was so nice. She was so nice. We were getting along so well together. Matter of fact, he, he even told me he loved me. I said, no, 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 no. Love is with a commitment and an oath of marriage. Why do we take vows? Because we have that commitment and it's with one person. Psalm of Solomon is, when, when you look at it, Song of Solomon is the only discussion of a go godly plan for marriage since the fall. Since the fall. You know, we get a lot of people that say to us, uh, hey, uh, one thing about you Christians, the Bible is so negative about human relations in marriage. Beware of sexual adultery, sexual immorality. It's interesting that in some places in the New Testament, when the Lord and Paul have spoken about that, beware of sexual immorality, the next word's covetousness, lust. 
Lust, I think, is to a large extent the product of what we see in the world today and is the opposite of godly marriage. And so this is the only place where marriage is discussed in Scripture after the fall without a warning and, and not in the, in the terms of a warning. So that's why it's important for us Christians. It is a collection of sensuous, erotic love poems and songs. One of the goals of this series is to get the pe people to read the book, read the Psalms, read Song of Solomon. I think that's probably the easiest one. Number one, it's the sh shortest one in the group. And oh, by the way, it's erotic po poetry. So, but the other preachers, the guys preaching, I don't think they, they have it that easy. And because of this, because of this, Jewish religious leaders, this threw me, Jewish religious leaders prohibited people from reading the Song of Songs until they were 30 years old. But on the other hand, it's one of five scrolls that were read at Passover, and it was read on the eighth day of Passover, along with, I think, Ruth, Esther, Lamentations, and Ecclesiastes. Now, you may think that's kind of strange. Maybe. But there are Christian schools, Christian churches, that tell people to wait until they're married, until they read Song of Solomon. I'm not sure how my family stood on it, <coughs> but I have a pretty good idea. When I was 10 or 11, I heard a sermon urging every, everybody to read the Word of God through once a year. So I went to my folks, I said, you know, that, that sounds like a good idea, but you know, I've got this Bible, children's Bible that Aunt so-and-so gave me back five years ago. And so I'd like to read the Bible through. And they, they bought me a New Testament. And they said, read this. And I said, okay, I'm finished with the New Testament. They said, read it again. <laughs> this went on until I was 14, and they bought me a Bible and let me go through the whole thing. So, so I, know, I know what that is. I know what that is. Uh, so it, it has language. There are things I don't understand in it, frankly. Um, when was the marital union consummated? Not specific. You can read commentaries in this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse. It's not clear. And so people then come back and say, well, how do you know? How do you know? that it's restricting sex to marriage. And I think there are a few clues on it. Number one is the same writer who wrote uh, Song of Songs, or at least put it together, um, Solomon, in Proverbs 5, starting at verse 15, 
says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Secondly, it was put in the canon that we have of the 66 books of scripture. It wouldn't have been put in that canon if it conflicted with what scripture taught, Proverbs and in other places. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure on that. Now, who authored it? I've said Solomon. Okay. Did Solomon write all of them, all of the chapters, all the poems in there? I don't know. But we know that Solomon wrote. We know that Solomon collected poems. We know the people wrote poems and dedicated them to Solomon. So it's probably in that mix. Yes, Solomon is responsible <coughs> for the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. Think about it. It's kind of ironic. He married Pharaoh's daughter as a political alliance. Uh, Israelites were not supposed to marry foreign women. That was the start. In marrying Pharaoh's daughter as a political alliance, he showed that he did not trust God and God alone for his safety and his security. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, who turned his heart to other gods from the God of the Lord of his father. Yet, we're told his wisdom surpassed all the wisdom of the East and Egypt. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, 1, 000, wrote 1,005 songs. Think of it. 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs, 700 wives, 300 concubines, all even numbers, until you get the 1,005 songs. Now, I admit I'm an accountant, so I get fixated sometimes on numbers. <laughs> But why five songs? He had a song for each wife, though I don't believe he wrote a song for each wife and each concubine. But he did write other songs, but he, he's responsible for a thousand and five. What does the, the song tell us of Solomon? Well, it tells us that God speaks to us on two levels. The spiritual and on the physical. God woos us. When it comes to the attributes of love between man and woman, there are three that stick out when you read it all. One is self-giving, two is desire, and three is commitment. Now I haven't tried to go through this morning chapter by chapter by chapter because it's just it's a jigsaw puzzle that I couldn't put together put it that way but they're all there our relationship to God it tells us that God delights in us and he desires us wholly for himself in chapter 8 verses 6 and 7 
we have a very clear understanding. It, it kind of summarizes the book for me, if you can summarize it in one place. And uh, we have a clear understanding, I think, of uh, where Solomon and where the Lord was going on this. Psalm, and this, most all scholars seem to agree, is after the marriage. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. It fl its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many wa waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. That's, that's the basis. That's the basis of this for me. What, what do we see? Love is compared to death. Love is a strong passion. Death is a powerful negative experience. Let's face it, it's the most powerful negative experience any of us will face. And love is that strong that on a human level, it's equated with death. That's the kind of strength that we're talking about. It also, uh, jealousy is not selfish ambition. I wish I had a car like that. Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. No, it's zeal. It's zeal. You're jealous because you have a zeal for things. A zeal for your wife. A zeal for God. It says many waters cannot quench it compared to a fire. Nor can floods of waters overwhelm it. If you've been looking at uh, television and seeing the disasters this past spring and summer, Texas, Oklahoma, and other places, and see houses just in, in practically an instant washed away. Now, we're told that that cannot be done in God's love and his grace. So, where we get, where we end up here, is how are our relationships, husbands and wives? How is your relationship? If you're, I don't know what other terminology now is, dating, seeing, hanging out with somebody, examine that relationship in light of Scripture, in light of Scripture. More important is, how is your relationship with God? That's the important thing. All of us have uh, Christians. I really don't know of an honest one who won't admit to having sinned or fallen in at least word, thought, or deed in this area. And we, we have to recognize that. And God's given, God's given us the solution 
He's given us his grace, his love, and his forgiveness. I think it's interesting to note that in the genealogy we have of Christ, the son of David, he's called the son of David in Matthew 1, we have three instances of impurity. One was Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Remember what happened? Perez's sons died. He was to give Tamar his son. He didn't do it according to law, and he didn't do it. She posed as a prostitute. He slept with her, and they had a child who's in the genealogy of our Lord. The second one is Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute. Jericho, you all know the story. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And the most interesting one, I think, was David was the father of Solomon by Uriah's wife. It's prevalent. It's dealt with. It's, it's taught in the Bible. David was loved by God. He was forgiven by God. God can forgive us for our sins. So that's the encouragement that we have. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you said, look, Bruce, I didn't, I'm not really with it, I would urge you because the way that, God, uh, the, way that the bride and groom pursued each other is the way that God pursues us to have a relationship of love with him. Let's bow for prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the value that you've put on life. We thank you for the value you put on marriage. We thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we recognize that I dare say virtually everyone in this room has fallen in this area in one way or the other. Lord, your grace is sufficient. Your love is sufficient. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, to believe that this morning. We love you. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our fellowship and in our lives individually. For Jesus' sake and for his glory alone. Amen. Let's stand and sing, oh, oh love that will not let me go. Which isn't up there yet. Hold on, hold on. Oh love that will not let me go. God's benediction.
now to him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.